Hello and welcome to The Bunker. Rupert Murdoch is said by some to be one of the inspirations behind Succession's Logan Roy. He's the mogul at the head of the most influential media conglomerate in the United States. But Logan Roy is fiction, and in the series, he died. Rupert Murdoch is in his 90s. He is very much fat and very much alive. After the phone hacking scandal, Murdoch closed down the News of the World newspaper in Britain. After his American TV station Fox so-called News alleged failures and irregularities in voting machines in the 2020 US presidential election and suggested they cost Donald Trump victory, a made-up scandal, Murdoch's company had to find three quarters of a billion dollars in damages to those it had libeled. Then the Fox star presenter Tucker Carlson was fired. Now in Britain... Murdoch's Sun newspaper is embroiled in the aftermath of the story about the private life of the BBC News presenter Hugh Edwards. The Sun alleged possible illegal activity. The British police found otherwise. So, is Rupert Murdoch a fit and proper person to have such extraordinary power within the media on both sides of the Atlantic? And how on earth does he manage to stay in such a position of influence and power? I'm joined now from Nantucket in New England by William D. Cohen, author of Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon, and most recently of a New York Times op-ed piece which asks the question we're going to discuss today. Why is it that no one seems capable of stopping the 92-year-old who has such an enormous and often baleful influence on politics and society on both sides of the Atlantic? Bill, welcome to The Bunker. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you, Gavin, for having me. We'll get into the details in a moment, but there have been serial scandals. There have been so much criticism from some people, and yet he survived. Is he a bit of a wonder for the political and media worlds? You know, I think he's part and parcel of a wider issue that seems to be plaguing at least our country these days, which is a, a lack of accountability for people who, um, you know, misbehave, who uh, who think they can get away with everything, uh, doing whatever they want. And uh, largely, many of them do. I mean, uh, you know, we have a former president who has been indicted twice, perhaps a third time soon or even a fourth time, and he thinks he's uh, going to figure out a way to get away with that as he has gotten away with plenty of other things. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, the world's you know richest man, theoretically, seems to get away with whatever he wants to get away with. And I think Rupert Murdoch, through his ownership of both, you know, News Corporation and Fox, gets away with whatever he wants at those two companies. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of power entrusted with a guy like Rupert Murdoch. There's no accountability for the behavior. I mean, you know, you can pay a large fine and you may have to pay more large fines and, but does anything really change uh, in these publications uh, as a result of this, or is just just a cost of doing business? So yes, he is uh, part of this whole, uh, I think, phenomenon of lack of accountability across, you know, American society, and maybe it's larger than American society. Can we go through some of those sectors then? Do you think that there are sections of the media, 
frightened of Rupert Murdoch, so they don't hold him to account, and some politicians who are just too scared because they know they'll get a really bad press. Well, I think parts of the media do try to hold, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch accountable. I mean, if you, you know, it's almost interminable on, say, MSNBC, which is constantly talking about, you know, Rupert Murdoch and his foibles and the various scandals that have existed. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of reporting on Fox. Uh, Again, you know, I think this fact that he uh, controls the voting shares, more than 40% of the voting shares of both Fox and News Corporation, and he's, you know, extremely wealthy and powerful. I mean, don't forget he sold 21st Century Fox to Disney for more than $71 billion a few years ago. Uh, he's probably got any number of politicians, as you suggest, who are afraid to say anything against him. Uh, I don't think it's uh, particularly healthy. I, I mean, you shouldn't really be able to go on national TV and make up stuff and create scandals that you know you don't really believe in because your emails show that you don't believe in it, but you'll say it anyway. That was Tucker uh, Carlson. I, I, Sorry to interrupt just for a British listeners who went, might not know this. This is the, the star anchor who said one thing on TV, which he knew was wrong, and said another thing, including he didn't think much of Donald Trump in his private emails and WhatsApp messages. It's uh, extraordinary stuff, isn't it? Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and, you know, you pay a $780 million fine and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> Let's talk about the share ownership, because I think this is something people will be less familiar with. You talked about dual, dual uh, share ownership. Now, what, what does that mean in terms of who controls the company? Because people think, oh, you're a shareholder, you control the company. It's not quite as simple as that. No, and, and of course, it's not only a Rupert Murdoch phenomenon. I mean, this is uh, this dual class ownership where one group, typically founders, own the voting shares in a disproportionate percentage than their economic shares, uh, and thus control the board, control the company, control management, control all aspects. Uh, that is a phenomenon that is uh, relatively prevalent across a number of especially media companies where founding families created the companies, uh, took them public, but wanted to keep control. So that is the case with the Roberts family, for instance, who controls Comcast, the Salzberger family that controls uh, the New York Times, uh, people like you know Mark Zuckerberg uh, at Facebook or Meta also uh, have that kind of structure. And, and also, say, Sherry Redstone at Paramount Global uh, has the same dynamic. It's not great from a corporate governance point of view, but it's not that it's not disclosed. It's plenty disclosed. So you know when you're buying into News Corp or Fox or Paramount Global or Comcast or The New York Times that that's the kind of structure that exists. So therefore, you know, I guess you're okay with it. I think it would be much better if that didn't exist or... Or if it if you wanted to have it that way, at least have your economic ownership on a par with your voting control, so that your sort of money is where your mouth is. And the other problem that we have in this country that the UK is actually much better at is that we don't like to separate chairman of the board from the CEO position in this country. Uh, you, you know, in the UK, you're much better at that, and I think that's frankly a healthier governance, corporate governance detail as well. So. 
you know, you have these characters who seem to have absolute power. Uh, and, you know, if they're benevolent, I guess that's one thing. But if they're not, as I think, you know, it's safe to say that Rupert Murdoch has been anything but benevolent, then, you know, it can cause real problems. But your country took these guys on in the past. You know, Theodore Roosevelt talked about malefactors of great wealth. They were people who were too powerful, and he took them on. Nobody seems to be stepping up to that. And I wonder if it's because uh, if you're Donald Trump, you certainly want them on your side. If you're Joe Biden or whoever, uh, you know, the next president or the next one is, it just says this is the way the system goes. And they make a lot of money. And in the case of Musk and some of the others, they're incredibly inventive. So that's part of the American way. Uh, I mean, look, uh, it was carte blanche under Donald Trump. And, you know, Donald Trump is obviously the leading proponent of that and has been his whole life. Again, speaking of no accountability, I think in fairness, you know, Joe Biden has tried to rectify some of that. He's not one to, uh, you know, likely take the money out of politics. That's a much bigger problem. But, you know, through his uh, Justice Department, his uh, antitrust division in the uh, the FTC, I mean, people like Lena Khan uh, have been trying to take on big corporate mergers and trying to block them. Um, that has not worked as well as she probably had hoped. But I, I think there's some effort to try to curb some of this uh, lack of accountability. But again, I think, you know, uh, we tend to be infatuated to a fault with uh, billionaires. And, you know, when I was growing up, uh, Gavin, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, there weren't billionaires per se. There were people with a lot of money, but there wasn't this huge gulf. Now it's just gotten utterly, uh, you know, obscene. In, in, in one sense, it's, you know, the American way, where if you build a better mousetrap, people will beat a path to your door. And that's great and wonderful think, you know, increasingly uh, people are losing faith in the American dream and um, in, in the idea that they can create a better life for themselves and here. And uh, I think that ultimately will not be good for our society or in our culture. Uh, it's already uh, making us extremely polarized. And our friend Ruber Murdoch is sort of uh, on the cutting edge of that polarization that is occurring. He's he's encouraging it. He's profiting from it. He's not being held accountable as a result of it, and he doesn't seem to care one way or the other that it's happening. You know, if I were him, I would be deeply, deeply disturbed by what my television network had created. But he doesn't seem to be concerned about that. Bill, can I ask you the question that's always at the back of my mind when we talk about Fox in particular, but why do people fall for it? I mean, they know the star presenter they used to tune in for lied. I genuinely don't get it. I'm asking, I'm, I'm dragging you into psychology here maybe, but what is going on in the brains of the people who think this is okay? Gavin, it just blows my mind. I mean, maybe it's, you know, just like Berlusconi in, in Italy. I... I, I don't understand it. Uh, I, I It defies logic. Uh, but I mean, I think that Rupert Murdoch and his Fox uh, networks have a large hand in making this 
uh, the reality that we live in today. And it just blows my mind. I just don't understand it. What is the impact of this on journalism, do you think? Because one way of looking at it is if you were starting off as a young journalist or interested in this kind of business, you would say it works. It works for Murdoch. It, 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 is, the, it is very successful. It's money spinning. This is the way we should go. And unfortunately, it's the way of not telling the truth. Yes, uh, it does appear to be working for Murdoch. Um, journalism in this country, and probably in the UK too, is, is uh, facing uh, a serious financial crisis and a crisis of confidence. And where once upon a time, when I started as a journalist, before I became a banker on Wall Street and then went back to journalism, was that that publications in this country were quite flush. They were quite profitable. They had a lot of money. Uh, they didn't pay people particularly well. That's certainly something that remains the case today. But they at least were willing to fund uh, investigative reporting. And uh, I find that now uh, publications are bleeding they're being taken over by hedge funds and private equity funds that are draining them of capital, um, and they have no appetite anymore for tough investigative reporting. Nobody wants to get in, and, and because there are all these billionaires around uh, behaving badly who think nothing of spending millions on frivolous lawsuits against journalists who try to report their bad behavior, nobody wants to get into a, a lawsuit with a billionaire that's curbing investigative reporting left and right. Uh, a lot of fledgling publications just have no appetite whatsoever for any kind of uh, lawsuit or legal fight with a billionaire. And so you just see uh, this lack of accountability that I spoke about at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, you know, journalists are no longer able to hold people to account in the ways that they once were able to do. That is a big part of why. Uh, there's this lack of accountability uh, across the political spectrum, across the business spectrum. Uh, and of course, again, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch's uh, flush coffers, uh, you know, allows him exacerbate that. And, you know, even if he gets, you know, tapped here and there for, you know, $800 million, it doesn't seem to have any effect or change any behaviors on Fox. Um, I, I'm going to get on to just the final thoughts about his succession in a moment. But there was one bit of good news that did strike me when you were talking there, which is I wonder if we're a bit like the, the 18th century with the pamphleteers. You know, people could produce things at very low cost. They could make a bit of influence. So we've got podcasters. We have got uh, kind of guerrilla media outfits. We've got very, very – because the entry costs to the business are low. You're not going to be the New York Times or the BBC overnight, but you are actually – talking to an audience which the, the the big proprietors, the Murdochs and so on, can't touch. Well, you, you know, you're right. You don't have to own printing presses anymore. You don't have to buy newsprint. You don't have to buy ink. Uh, you know, so all of that capital does not, is not required. The internet is an unbelievable vehicle for disseminating information. Not all, as we all know, not all of it accurate, not all, not good, all yeah. of it worth following. And it's hard for people to discern one for the other. But that is all true, and that is all great. And obviously, I'm a founding partner of something called Puck, which is, uh, I hope, uh, a new digital media company that, after two years, that is going to be a survivor and is having an impact. But you know, even Puck, even Airmail, even some of these other new digital publications do not have the wherewithal or the stomach 
to get into a fight, a legal fight with a billionaire. Yeah, William, I was just going to end up by talking about succession. I mean, Rupert Murdoch, age 92, will not be with us forever. Are we actually seeing a kind of real-life rerun of a kind of succession in which whoever takes over will perhaps not be as brilliant, let us say, or as ruthless as Rupert? Again, um, I, I think that Rupert, because of his voting control of the stock of Fox and News Corp, uh, both companies, which he had tried to merge earlier this year, uh, which didn't work, you know, he gets to pick the successor. The succession is not an open process. It's even less open than it was on the show, because in that in the show, uh, obviously the patriarch died before naming the successor, and we had a very uh, unusual outcome, right? Um, you know, Lachlan is the successor, uh, barring unforeseen uh, circumstances. I guess, you know, his uh, brother and sister could uh, sort of join together and make a stink and oust him once his father is uh, no longer with us. So that could potentially happen. But James has gone off to do his own thing. I'm sure he's pissed off with the fact that Lachlan is the guy. Uh, that his father seems to be favoring at the moment. Uh, but, you know, he controls the action. And, you know, obviously James has a very different point of view than his brother and would be a total breath of fresh air and might completely reorient the whole company. And that would probably be a good thing, but I, I, I just don't see it happening. And just one final thought. Um, you know, Fox News, I looked at the the viewing figures, and although it's the supposed to be most watched news broadcast in prime time, it gets about 3 million viewers or fewer. How come it's so influential with 350 million Americans, most of whom don't watch it most of the time? Well, it has, it has no impact on half the country. It has a big impact on the other half. Uh, and because of our crazy political system, which isn't based on who gets the most number of votes, and of course it isn't based on a parliamentary system like your system, it's based on this electoral college system, and because the outcome in most states is already known, even before people cast their uh, ballots, and it just comes down to seven or eight states uh, and very close tight margins, it comes down to marginal voters and Fox News has a large influence on that. You know, again, if if Donald Trump uh, somehow, uh, despite all of his legal problems, is somehow the nominee again, I mean, uh, on the Republican Party, then, you know, and if it's Trump versus Biden, uh, you know, the, the suggestion uh, was made uh, recently, I, I heard this, and I really actually think it's a good a good idea. Maybe people, uh, by, by people listening to this podcast, we can actually uh, make this happen. So let's try this on, uh, uh, Gavin, for size. How about Joe Biden call up Donald Trump uh, and say that he will agree to pardon him for all of his federal crimes and will work with state uh, prosecutors to pardon him for all of his state crimes uh, with the one caveat that Donald Trump agrees to drop out of the 2024 presidential uh, race, and that Joe Biden, as part of that deal, will also agree to drop out of the 2024 <laughs> uh, presidential race. 
and have a wide open field in both parties and we can get beyond these two codgers, these people who don't have <laughs> any energy left and, uh, and we can start fresh again in this country with a whole new political slate. I'd be all for that in a nanosecond, what we call a New York Minute. Bill, sign me up. Let's make that happen. Fantastic. That was William D. Cohen, author of Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon. And listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please support The Bunker on Patreon for as little as £3 a month. You can get perks like exclusive merch and ad-free episodes. I'm Gavin Esler. Thank you for listening. The Bunker USA was presented by Gavin Esler, produced by Liam Tate and Chris Jones. Audio production was by me, Robin Lehman. Our music's by Kenny Dickinson. Art by James Parrott. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor, Andrew Harrison. And The Bunker is a Podmasters production.